0: Series um, today. If you're just joining us, we are in part three of our seri- series called Resilience, and I have a question to start off with. And the question is, how do you keep yourself from falling apart? How do you personally, just think about that for a minute, how do you personally keep yourself from falling apart? Well, you know, I, I, I love animals. And when I say that, let me preface this. I don't like having animals. I don't own any animals. I don't like cats and dogs or or pets or anything like that. Every pet I've ever had in my life, I've killed them. Um, Not on purpose, but on accident. Um, I just, I don't like that, but I'm fascinated with, I guess I should say the, the behavior behavioral science of animals you know I got a lion tattooed on me I've got rhinos uh, up in this region of me you know Um, recently I learned about bison I could do a whole sermon series on bison number one they taste great number two they're fascinating animals okay I mean I love just understanding the behavior science of animals and stuff and recently I learned about a new animal camels Yeah, camels. And Darren was like, you're going to get a camel tattooed on your back? I said, no, because everybody will think I'll smoke then, right? No, I'm not going to get a camel tattooed on me, but camels are fascinating. And do you know what's fascinating about camels? Camels are fascinating because... They they can travel these long, long, long distances. I mean they can travel for, 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 for just ever for thousands of miles and, and they can even pull things and carry weight and they're just they're so so reliable. But the problem is that the thing that's different about camels than horses or anything else is that camels' weaknesses is that they will look strong, healthy, they'll look like they have a lot more endurance left, and then suddenly they will just collapse. They'll just collapse, and many of them will just die. So a camel will be going at a a, a normal speed, be doing what what they're doing. There's no signs of them stopping or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, bam, they drop. They drop dead. They just completely collapse. Nobody even saw it coming. Now, horses are different. Horses, they'll tire out. They'll, They'll give signs that they need to stop, they need to rest, they need to drink, you know, that type of things. But not camels camels they will go 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 and before you know it with no signs at all they will just boom collapse and they'll be done and i was thinking about that and i was thinking about you and i was thinking about me and you know what a lot of us are like camels we're not horses we're camels because a lot of us on the outside we look like we're fine right we look like we're good i could do this all day I could keep going, I'm fine, I'm good, nothing's wrong with me, and then all of a sudden, boom, something happens. All of a sudden, bam, something happens in life, and I can just collapse, and I can just fall apart with no signs. And you've all seen it, right? You've seen that friend who something tragically happened to them. All of a sudden, they collapsed. All of a sudden, they were done. All of a sudden, they were in a hole, and you said to yourself, what? I had no idea anything was going on. I thought everything was fine. It shocks you. It surprises you. It throws you off, doesn't it? So, with knowing that, how do you keep yourself from falling apart? More on that in just a second. But we are in the middle of a series called Resilience. And if you don't know what resilience is, resilience is the capacity to recover quickly, right? Recover quickly from toughness, uh, or from difficulties to be tough. It is the ability to spring back into shape. And all of us love to th- would love to think that we are resilient. All of us want to be resilient. All of us would love to spring back into shape. But the truth is, is that over these last couple years, in the middle of this pandemic and, and everything that we've experienced, some of us have learned that we're not as resilient as we thought. That actually we do have a breaking point and we've kind of figured out where that is, and a lot of us have felt it. A lot of us have felt the pressure. We've talked about how uh, psychologists and scientists right now say the biggest thing that we're dealing with right now is just we're starting to experience the trauma of COVID, the trauma of going through a pandemic, the trauma of not knowing what, what is going to happen next. We're starting to feel it and experience it, and we're starting to come up for air, but we're learning that a lot of us are gasping, and we can't catch a break. We can't catch our breath. We can't find balance in our life. And so, of course, you know, I said this week one, of course, you would say, and that's why you need Jesus, right? But the thing is, is that people all around the world, people, especially Americans, are not so sure about that. I mean, that Gallup poll that I talked about that recently came out, 10% of our country, 10% of our country does not believe in God anymore, We've never seen this kind of decline, ever, where we've seen such a mass exodus of people who have decided that they no longer believe in God. And we're seeing it happen right in front of our eyes. Why is that? What is that? Why is it that people no longer are are starting to question or starting to deconstruct this idea that that Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life? Why is that? Well, I have two reasons that I explain to you. The first one is a Sunday school faith is that a lot of us, we grew up on this Sunday school faith where all we had to do to become a a believer, to become a Christian, was raise our hand and accept that Jesus died for our sins. And we went to that Sunday school faith where every single day in Sunday school, it was was an awesome, cool, drawn-out Old Testament cartoon of David chopping the head off Goliath and, and, and people going into fires and making it out unsinged, Daniel going into the lion's den and nothing ever happening to him. And we grew up on verses like Jeremiah 29 11 that says, Oh, God has plans for you. Nothing bad will ever happen to you and everything's going to be okay. And then here you are now going through what you're going through. You still don't have land. You still feel like you're wandering in the desert and you're going, Wait a minute. That thing I bought at Hobby Lobby said God was for me and nothing bad would happen to me. What is going on? And the thing is, is we were handed this, this Sunday school faith that was, that was focused on believing instead of following. And the second thing is this. The second thing is that Christianity is not a reference point. It's a context. But for many Christians today, Christianity is, is just a reference point. And I make up the context for my life. So what I think, what I feel, I I can kind of pick and choose and I can be given the, the, the verse or the scripture verse or whatever and I can go, well, that's one viewpoint. But also, I like what I saw this guy say on TikTok. That's another thing. I mean, a lot of us have just chosen different reference points, but I'm the context. I make up the context. But the reality is, is that the people who followed Jesus, when they followed Jesus, they gave up their lives. They died to themselves. And Christianity was not a reference point. It was a context. And so, of course, of course you would fall apart in the middle of a pandemic. Of course you would question your faith. Of course you would think that God possibly wasn't real. Because if Jesus isn't the context of your life, then he's not gonna make your life better or make you better at life. And if your faith is built on Sunday school stories where nothing bad ever happens to you, then of course it's gonna feel like God's not there, and God's not present, and God's not with you when you're going through what you're going through. I said this, following Jesus makes your life better, makes you better at life, but believing gets you neither. Believing in God doesn't get you anything. It's following that makes all of the difference. So we've kind of been talking about what following and not just believing looks like. Following is about doing. It's about works. It's about living a life the way that Jesus lived his life. And here's the, here's the cool thing that I hope you can wrap your mind around. When you study scripture and when you study the life of Jesus, the thing that we have to understand that we got when Jesus came to earth, what we got to see is we got to view for the very first time God in human form. It's like if there was ever a time when you were like, man, I wonder, if God had to be a human, if God had to be a man, and he had to live on this earth, and he had to go through what we went through, I wonder what he would do. Well, we finally got to see that. Another way to put it is this, is the disciples, what they got was this, they got to witness how God would handle any situation through Jesus. Because Jesus was God in human form, and so they got to witness how God would handle stress, Deadlines, emotional overload, feelings of anxiety. When Jesus was on this earth, he was 100% God and 100% human. He felt everything that you and I felt. And in the time he was in, he was in an even more uncomfortable environment and, and more uncomfortable season of life than we are even today. So God put himself in that situation And Jesus was God in human form. And the disciples, they didn't even realize it at first. What they got to witness is what God would do if he were one of them. So when we look at Jesus, when we look at the way he lived, we can look at his patterns, we can look at what he did, we can look at what he did in the morning and in the evening and at night, and what he did, and we can go, okay, so if that's how Jesus lived... If that's who Jesus was between the age of 30 and 33, then maybe that's how I should pattern my life. So, with that said, I want to ask you a question. I'm talking about falling apart. How is your gas tank these days? Now, I'm not talking about your actual gas tank. I know, gas the price, uh, price of gas is high. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about your, your gas tank in your car. I'm talking about your capacity. I'm talking about your soul I'm talking about your, your inter-gas tank, the gas tank in you. Let me ask you something. How is it going these days? And now, most of you, you're very confident people. Most of you would say this. It's three you none of you would say it's full, but you know you 'd be modest you say it's it 's about three quarters right it 's about three quarters yeah i 'm doing good i 'm doing good pastor i 'm fine i 'm good i 'm good sometimes you know during the week if i haven 't seen somebody in a while or something one of you i 'll text you or i 'll dm you and say hey how 's it going? Just checking in on you. oh pastor i 'm great i 'm good i 'm fine, everything is fine, everything is fine 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 right? and you 'd say about three quarters of the way full, about three quarters of the way full, you know? And I'm bad about this. I'll tell on myself before I rip into you, okay? I mean, I, you you ever seen the movie Incredibles, you know? You remember Incredibles at the beginning when he's going to his wedding and he keeps stopping? He goes, I got time, right? And he keeps stopping. He'll stop another problem and they'll be like, shouldn't you be somewhere? He's like, I got time. That's me, okay? that is me to a T. I'm always, somebody's like, can you, can you do this? Can you help with this? Do you want to lead this? Oh, sure, yeah. I got time, right? I did that this week. This week, I was a single parent. Brayden had a surgery a week and a half ago. Kate and Olivia were at camp, and I overcommitted myself like no one's business, okay? <laughs> and I just kept, I was, yeah, I got time, I got time. Now, some of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, your spouse is going to nudge you. Are any, anybody else in the room over-committers in the room? Any over-committers? Go ahead, just nudge your spouse right now, right? Any over-committers, right? You're the people that are like, I got time, I'm good, I'm fine. My gas tank is three-fourths of the way full, baby, I'm ready to go. And then the rest of you are like my wife, to where if it gets half empty, she's like, we need to go to the gas station right now. We need to fill this thing up. We're about to run out of gas. I'm going, we've got at least eight days left, honey. We're fine. We're good, right? Right. The overcommitters definitely married somebody who has a little bit more balance in their life, right? But here's the reality. If I asked you how your gas tank was doing, that's what you'd tell me. But the truth is, is that a lot of you look more like this. You're here. You're about at that point. Where that light's gonna go off and saying 50 miles till empty, isn't that a convenient little button to go off? You know, don't you wish there was one of those in life? <laughs> you just get a little notification on your watch. You're about to have an anxiety attack. <laughs> you know, <laughs> careful. That would be great. That would be good. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. The reality is, is that a lot of us are here. And the thing is, because I know you. A lot of you, even when you do drive in your physical car, in the 50 miles till empty light goes off, what do you do? You keep going. See, y'all are telling on yourselves, right? This is why we don't got to have a confessional booth. You tell on yourselves just fine, right? So, yeah, you guys are like, ah, I got time. I'm good. I can go a little bit longer. We all do that. So, okay, with that said, then, then how do you know you're on empty? How do you know? How do you know when it's time to pull back? How do you know that as resilient as you think you are, you have stretched yourself to the point where you're about to break? How do you know? Well, psychologists would tell you this. Psychologists would say, here are some signs. If you are easily irritable, then you're close to empty. Easily irritable, hard, if it's hard to concentrate, Remember last week we talked about that trauma brain and what trauma brain feels like where you pick up your phone and you know you're supposed to text somebody but you don't remember who you're going to text or what you're going to say that's trauma brain that is a sign that you're close to empty or or how about tension in your body anybody get neck pain And it feels like your shoulders are like turning to concrete, and you're like, "Why are my shoulders up here? Why can't I just relax? And why can't I breathe?" And that is a sign that you're close to empty. Or, or how about forgetful? You ever forget things? You ever make an appointment and then forget you made an appointment? You forgot. You tell somebody you were going to come over. You forgot. You told somebody you were going to take care of that. Or just not sleeping well. When you're having those nights where you're sleeping four to five hours and you wake up at 3 a.m. and you're like, oh, work problem. And you're like, you grab your phone, right? These are all signs. And I'm not making them up. These are psychologists who say these are all signs that you're running close to empty. So here's the thing. I want to give you three practical questions, three practical questions to help you deal with this. To help you to be able to measure your gas tank, to measure if you are actually as resilient as you think that you are. So the first question is this, and I already kind of asked it, how's your gas tank these days? How's your gas tank? This is a question that maybe you should ask one another at home. Honey, how's your gas tank doing? Okay. Now again, I just, I just kind of clarify, you're going to make things up right? You're going to tell everybody you're fine, even if I text you or anything else. Hey, how's your guest? Oh, pastor, it's great. I'm fine, right? You are all misguided people. You're all going to make it up, right? I understand it. So that is why I have found a better question, a better question, a follow-up question, a second question that will help clarify where you actually are. And the second question is this, how are your reserves how are your reserves? What I mean by that is all of us have this gas tank, this capacity, and a lot of us measure it to that empty line, and we think, hmm, I'm about here. I'm about at 30, 40%. I got about a quarter of a tank of gas left. But I'm fine. I'm good. I still got a little bit more. But here's where we get in trouble. Here's where you get in trouble. Here's where I get in trouble. Is The problem is, is that gas tank, we keep allowing it to get below that quarter of a tank left, get really close to the empty, get to the point where that light goes off. And we are. We're good. We can keep going. But then something happens happens that we didn't expect then we get bad news then something breaks then somebody gets sick then a pandemic happens then somebody gets covid then somebody has to have surgery then the market crashes and you lose thousands of dollars in crypto See what I'm saying is all of us we live close to this line and then something happens that we couldn't predict because we're assuming that things are going to stay here. We assume that we only need to get to point A to point B so we've got enough gas in the tank but what happens when something pushes you off of your course? Well then it blows you way past empty and then the panic sets in, and then the anxiety attack occurs, and then we start to melt, and then we explode, and then we go off on people, and then we're irritable, and then we can't sleep, and then our body falls apart. Do you see how important reserves are? Let me clarify the question. Do you have any reserves in case your soul is pushed past empty? Think about where you are right now. Because again, I, this was not on the sermon calendar. We were supposed to be preaching about something completely different this month. But I got so many messages and DMs and feedback from you that said, I'm at work, I can't catch my breath, I can't catch up at work, I'm working 10-hour days, 12-hour days, 13-hour days, I'm, work, I'm waking up thinking I'm at work, I've got this going on in my life, I've got this going on in my relationship, I've got this going on with my kids. And everybody was talking about how close they were to empty and then stuff started to happen. Where you are right now, think about where you are right now. What if our country went to war right now? Would you be ready? Would you have enough reserves in your tank to handle that? What if another pandemic occurred? What if somebody in your home got sick? What if you had to have uh, some sort of surgery that put you out? What if something else happened on top of what you are dealing with right now? Do you have any reserves for your soul? I think most of you, if you're honest, you would say, no, I don't. So what are you gonna do? You have to have reserves. It's not about just how your gas tank is doing, it's about your reserves and if you have the reserves to make it through the potential pandemic, epidemic, whatever it may be that could occur in your life next. So you're obviously aware, I've got to fill up my reserves then. I've got to fill up my gas tank. I mean, I need at least a good amount of reserves in case something else would happen. So my third question is this, then where will you go to be filled? You've got to be filled up. Everybody's got to be filled. Where will you go to be filled? There's a story that probably most of you know. Jesus, he went to a well, and there was a Samaritan woman Jesus was Jewish, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. He asked the Samaritan woman if he would uh, fetch him some water out of the well and give him a drink. She said, I'm surprised you're even talking to me because I'm a Samaritan. And this is what he says to her. He he turns to her and she she said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He said, oh, my dear girl, if you knew who you're talking to right now, if you knew you were talking to God in human form, you, you'd be asking me for a drink because I offer living water. And then Jesus said to her, he said, everyone who drinks this water, he's talking about his water, the living water, will be, or, or the water in the well, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He's saying, man, I tell you what, when you're, when you're looking for a real refreshment, when you are really thirsty and you're really wanting to be filled, there's nothing better than me. There's nothing better than the creator of the universe. There's nothing better than the king of kings. And it piqued the woman's interest. She was so curious all of a sudden. So the woman said to him, The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and I, and I don't have to keep coming back here to draw water. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that nothing in this world, nothing that this world offers is ever fully satisfying? Isn't that true? I mean, come on. Is one night of good sleep ever good enough? No. Did anybody this morning only drink one cup of coffee? Liar. (laughs) One cup of coffee does not get you there. It's a minimum of three, okay? A minimum of three, okay? Does anybody ever get one scoop of ice cream? I mean, come on. When they're like, one scoop or two scoop? You look at them and go, do you think my mother raised me yesterday? (laughs) You put two scoops in there, okay? Because one is not, I mean, it's never fully satisfying, right? We always go back for for more. There is nothing in this world that is offered That is fully satisfying, where you don't have to go back for more. And this girl, she says to to God, she goes, give me your living water so that I don't have to keep coming back here to be refreshed, to be revived, to be refilled. Give me the real thing. Give me the living water. Here's the thing. Nothing, nothing restores our souls the way that God can nothing. Where are you going to get filled? Because the honest truth is that a lot of us are running to things that temporarily fill us, but that do not have the capability to keep us full. And I heard it. I know. it. What do you need right now? I need a vacation. And then all of y'all came back from vacation. And you're like, I need a vacation for my vacation, right? Like that's a thing. I mean, none of y'all have gone to the lake once this summer. Oh, no, no, no. You're going back again and again and again and again. Need more lake time. Need more lake time. Mama needs more lake time, right? I mean, you keep going back again and again and again because it never really fills you up, does it? It just, it puts a Band-Aid on it. It gets you through the weekend. It gives you a little bit of something. But it never truly fills you up. Let me tell you something. God created the universe that way, for a reason, God didn't create anything in this universe to fully satisfy you so that you would always have to come back to the source and it would never be confused who the source of living water is. It's always God. And here's the thing, and this is, this is going to maybe in a little bit, of, but even your family, your family is not the thing that fills you up. To, to anybody who's not married in the room or anybody who is struggling in their marriage in the room, let me tell you something. Whenever I was growing up, my number one thing, I was, uh, my number one prayer, if there was one thing, and you said, if there's anything you could ask God for, what would it be? I'd say, God, let me get married. God, let me get married. God, let me have a wife. Please, God, get, let me get married. Because I always used to think, if I was married I mean, to a hot little brunette, you know, that was shorter than me, man, I'll be good. I'll be good. Ain't nothing that can go wrong in life if I have a smoking hot wife, you know? And I, I'm not, she didn't have to be smoking hot. She just ended up being smoking hot, okay? Anyway, uh, but if I just had a wife, I mean, I would be good. I would be fine, right? And let me tell you something. I got married, and I love my wife, and this is gonna sound so mean, okay? But my wife will say amen here in a little bit. My wife... Does not fulfill my life. That sounds mean, but she's even told me that before. My wife does not fulfill my life. Doesn't. I've even said to her before, I used, you know, you, you think this sounds sweet because you've seen the movie stuff. I've told her before, I said, honey, if you ever died, I don't know what I would do. And she would say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I said, what you mean? That's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. She goes, that is so stupid. She goes, if I die, you better pick yourself up. You better find somebody else. You better get remarried and you better just keep preaching. She goes, you better preach the Sunday after I die. Because if you don't, I'm going to come kill you. (laughs) Why? Why would you say that? Because my wife knows. And my wife has told me, she goes, don't put that pressure on me. What do you mean? Don't put that pressure on me. Don't make me the thing that is supposed, to, is supposed to fill your tank in your reserves because that puts pressure on me, and I'm a broken person who's dependent on God, and I can't be that for you. God is supposed to be that for you, Michael. So don't put that pressure on our marriage. Don't make me this thing that is supposed to fill your tank because, Michael, I'm telling you, I will fail at that. So please don't do that. I'd rather be your friend. I'd rather be your partner. I'd rather, I'd rather be your wife. Do not make me the thing that's supposed to fill up your tank. And you know what? She's right. It's one of the most important lessons my wife has ever taught me. And it's the same when we had kids. Lord, just give me kids. All I want is one girl and one boy. Just give me one, one of each. I'm good. But you know what? My kids don't fulfill me either. I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. I love my kids, but they are not my life. You'll never see me write a Facebook post that goes, these kids are my life because they're not my life. Jesus Christ is my life because Jesus Christ is the only thing that can fill me. And I will never put that pressure on my kids or my spouse because it's unfair. Because nothing... Those are blessings in my life, but nothing restores our souls the way that God can. Augustine figured this out. He wrote this. He says, You have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. Wow, August, amen. Augustine figured it out. There is nothing that can fill us up like God can. So, What What does it look like to have our gas tank so filled by God that we have enough reserves in case of emergency? Well, again, if you look at the life of Jesus, you see what Jesus did. And if all we did was look at the life of Jesus and see what Jesus did and patterned our life after his life, we would understand how it is that we get filled by God. And when we look at the life of Jesus, there's something peculiar that he does, that sometimes I think that we miss. I've never seen, heard anybody preach on this, and I'm not bragging, but this has stuck out to me. There's something specific that Jesus did that I don't think we do enough of. It's a spiritual practice that I think so many of us miss. You wanna know what it is? Jesus withdrew. He withdrew. You look at the Gospel of Mark alone, 23 times it says that Jesus withdrew. Jesus went off by himself. Jesus went away. He withdrew. And when he withdrew, this is what happened. When he withdrew, he was alone. It was quiet. And he prayed and he grieved. He was alone. It was quiet. No TVs, no cell phones, no music. And what did he do? He prayed, he grieved. And there's three specific times that I see Jesus doing this in the Gospels. The first one is this before he made big decisions. Before Jesus made big decisions, do you know what he did? He withdrew, he was alone. It was quiet. He prayed, he grieved. That's what he did. It, t- it tells us this in the Gospels. It says, one of those days, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So he went up to the mountainside and he went alone. He prayed and he was quiet. He prayed to God. And then the next morning came. When morning came, he called his disciples together and he chose 12 of them. What did Jesus do before he chose the big 12? I mean, this was a big decision. This was a huge decision. What did Jesus do? He withdrew, he went alone, and it was quiet. And he prayed. And he asked for the source of wisdom to give him wisdom before he made a big decision. Let me ask you, before you make a big decision, what do you do? Before you make a purchase, before you quit your job, before before you have that conversation with somebody, before you write that email, before you comment on that post, before you do anything, what do you do before you make a big decision? At most... You sleep on it. At minimum, you take a breath. That's what you do. That's what I do. At most, we sleep on it. At minimum, we take a breath. But how many of you have honestly ever in your life said, hold up, I need to be alone, I need it to be quiet, and I'm gonna go pray about this, and I'm gonna see what God wants me to do? How often do you do that? Again, if you, even if you're a, a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, I'll tell you what most of you do. You call me and tell me to pray for you. <laughs> hey, pastor, got a real big decision coming up, man. I just really appreciate your prayers. It'd be great if you just pray for me. You know, I really appreciate that. Now, here's what's amazing about that, and I don't want anyone to feel bad, but you're all gonna feel bad here, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm about to be 35, okay? I've been doing this for 15 years now. In 15 years of ministry, and I'm a pastor's kid, so I'll take my dad's story into context here. In in all my dad's ministry, in in my 15 years of ministry, never, ever once has this happened, okay? So if it doesn't happen after this, didn't listen, okay? Never, ever once has anybody ever called me and said, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? I got this real big decision coming up, blah, 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 blah. And then they hang up, and then a day later, they call me back, and they go, hey, so what did God say? Don't you think that should be what happens? Hey, pastor, I got a really big decision coming up. Will you pray for me? Sure. Then I go pray about it. Would you like to know what God said to me? If you're not going to go away and pray about it and get clarity and wisdom and answers, and you ask me to do it, would you like to know what he said? Because I'll tell you what he said. But you don't do that, do you? You know why? Because when you ask me for prayer, what you mean is I'd like some good juju in my life. Huh? 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 I can't see your faces, so I'm not really pointing at anybody. But, Right? I just want some good luck. Will you give me some good luck? Would you give me some juju, good juju? Would you pray for me? But honestly, seriously, when I go pray for you, I go seeking clarity and answer and wisdom from God, and I will give it to you. But you don't come asking for it. Because when you make big decisions, you just need to sleep on it. And you just pray as in, I'm crossing my fingers that it works out. Woohoo. Yeah. The other thing that Jesus did is he pre withdrew. He pre withdrew before big seasons, before big things happened. Do you know what he did? He pre withdrew. Before it happened, he went away to be alone, to be quiet to pray, to grieve, to prepare for what was next. It's so fascinating to me if we look at the Gospel of Matthew and and we get the story of how Jesus' ministry started. A lot of you know what happened. He was baptized, right? He was baptized and the dove flew in and God said, this is my son. And, And I mean, the stars aligned and it was like the Jesus of ministry is starting, right? And I mean, it's like, bam, here we go, right? It's like the beginning of the movie. And then what did Jesus do next? He went into the desert for 40 days. Yeah. What? I thought we just started. I thought this was like the fireworks, you know? I thought here we go, a guns a blazing. But then he disappears for 40 days. This is what Matthew tells us. It says then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was very very hungry. <laughs> That's good detail to add in there. But he went alone. He went alone. Why did he do that? Because it was necessary. Because it is necessary. Because what Jesus was doing was like, man, this is a long road ahead. I've got to fill up my gas tank. I've got to fill up my reserves. This is going to be a long journey, and I need to be ready for it. So I need to go and be filled by my God. And so he went away to prepare for what was ahead. Let me ask you something. What will you do to prepare for the season that you have ahead of you? Because fall is coming. New things are going to come up. Job changes are coming. You, some of you, know what is ahead of you. We have a church plant ahead of us. In September, we will launch our Wright City campus. Do you know what I have already pre planned in August? I plan to withdraw. I will pre withdraw. Because I have to prepare my life and my heart and my soul and my reserves for what is about to happen when we have two churches going on at the same time. So I will pre-withdraw and I will let God fill me up with what I need for the journey ahead. What are you doing to prepare for the journey that's ahead, for the season that's ahead? So many of us bleed from one season to the next and that is how we trample ourselves down is we don't stop to come up for air and prepare our hearts and our souls for the next season. I'm telling you, if Jesus had to do it, then so do you. The other thing that Jesus did, the last thing that Jesus did, is he post-withdrew, which Pastor Ashley told me. That's not a word. I don't care, okay? But Jesus post-withdrew There's a fascinating story in the Gospels that you probably never even would have catched this. But this is what happened. It says that the, God, the, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So they basically, it's a good day. They have one of those days where ministry is just lit. Services went well. New sound system worked. You know The donuts were good. Everything was popping. And the apostles are just like, Jesus, today was a good day, man. It was awesome. People were inspired to follow Jesus. It was great. Everyone was, it was just great. And then... Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they, they did not even have a chance to eat. So, I mean, things are still going. They're telling Jesus and people are coming. They're not stopping. I mean, it's so crazy. It's one of those days where you're like, I'm going to skip lunch. I don't care because it's so good today. Oh, glory to God. The kingdom is growing, man. This is just one of those days where we're, we're going to skip lunch. We don't care because things are so good. And do you know what Jesus did? In the middle of a good thing, in the middle of a time where people were following Jesus, giving their life to Jesus, do you know what Jesus did? It says, then Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away with him in a boat to a solitary place Amen. where they were alone, where they were quiet, and where they could pray. Do you catch that? In the middle of a good thing, in the middle of a good time, in the middle where the harvest was ripe, Jesus took his disciples and said, all right, let's go. You need to be alone. You need to be alone. You know why? Because if they didn't take one, they wouldn't make it to the next one. And I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why I'm so emotional. This is not my sermon. Because I remember when we got this building, and I was due for a sabbatical by our bylaws. And I asked our leadership team for that eight-week sabbatical over a summer. And I had one person, they're not here anymore, so I can talk bad about them, but I had one person... <laughs> who was very, very much against it, who did all they could to try to stop that sabbatical. And they had no idea that on the outside, although I looked like I was fine and I was strong, the truth is, is I was a camel and I was about to fall apart. Because to get us to that point took a lot of toll on me. And I had to have that. And I, there were ramifications for taking that sabbatical and for taking those eight weeks off. But I'm telling you, if I hadn't taken those eight weeks, I would not be here today. Because I had to. I understood things were going well. The ball was rolling. Everything, oh, it's, the iron is hot. We got to go now. But it was time for me to withdraw because I needed to be filled by God. And I understand when the victories happen and when things are good, you think, well, this is the time to keep going. Let's go. What's the next thing? But you have to be disciplined and understand that even on the, after the good moments, even after the celebrations, you need to stop and withdraw. Because you are closer to empty than you think. So let me ask you a question. When do you withdraw? When do you withdraw. When do you take time to be alone? Time where it's quiet, time to pray, time to grieve. When will you withdraw? Because I'm telling you, because you've asked me to pray for you, but you haven't asked for my feedback, so I'll just give it all to you now. Some of you are close to burning out. Some of you are very close to losing something important to you because you have not been disciplined in withdrawing. You are running on caffeine, very little sleep, and a whole lot of motivation. And let me tell you something. This is so true. In 15 years of ministry, I've never seen somebody fall apart, and I haven't seen it coming. I've told it to Kate. She's using my person. I say, you just watch. They're about to burn. They're about to fall apart. Something's going to happen. We are on the last straw, and it's going to break that camel's back. And I see you. You look good. You look fine. You're like, I'm good. But you are not. Will you please? You are not better than Jesus. And if Jesus needed to withdraw, then brother, sister, you do too. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. 15 minutes, okay, just this week, this week, 15 minutes. Put your phone on do not disturb, Don't, no screens, no music, no calls, no children, no spouse, no, ba- no people, and don't do it in your car. Some of you are like, oh, I do it every day, driving a car. Look, if you were talking to God the way I'm talking about, you'd crash your car, okay? So... And none of you are doing that, all right? I ain't talking about your, your, your commute. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being alone in the quiet where you can withdraw and you can grieve and pray and have God fill you up and speak living water into your life. Would you just start with 15 minutes? If it doesn't work, you can call me and you can tell me, but I guarantee you I'm not wrong. Because if you would adopt the same patterns of Jesus, if you would follow him, Jesus would make your life better and make you better at life. That's what I want for you. And Jesus has given you, given you the trick to find the rest and the renewal, and the reserves that you are looking for. The question is, is will you trust him enough to try it his way? To not just make him a reference point, but to make him the context of your life and say, well, not what I want, Jesus, not my will, but your way. If this is what you're asking me to do, then so be it. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we love you so much this morning. God, we come to you this morning looking for rest, looking for renewal. Would you fill us up this morning? Would you, God, this morning help us to not just give you our life today, but to practice our faith every day, to come to you to be filled? We go to a lot of different things to feel better, but God, it's a Band-Aid. It gets us through the day. It gets us through work. It gets us through an hour, but we need to be filled by you. Will you help us to live this out today? 15 minutes, God. Let me start this week with 15 minutes. Tomorrow, let me set an alarm on my phone. Let me do whatever I need to so that I can be filled by you. Whether it's before a big decision, whether it's before a new season of life, whether it's, it's after something that's even a good thing, would you help me to be disciplined enough to come to you?